everyone, welcome back to part two, the perfect storm to reform Matt's prison perspective. Our last episode left off where Matt was talking about the possibility of joining a program called the Reintegration Housing Unit in Florida. This would allow him to go from a maximum security prison to a medium security prison. Out of all of the episodes we've recorded so far, this particular part is my favorite so far. So I hope you find it as inspirational as I do. So without further ado, here's part two. I made it like three or four months in there, went back through the transfer process, the transport process again, left Mississippi, flew around half the United States, Oklahoma City, um, Atlanta again, made it to USP Coleman, which is right above Orlando, Florida. The last place you were at? No. No? More? Hold on, Mike. It's actually the first place I was at. Oh, for um, like it's the first real place I was at. And what this place is, this reintegration housing unit, it's a program where you get up every day, you say an affirmation with the rest of the group, you know, and it's about transformation and change. Not a lot of people take it seriously. They're just trying to, you know, skirt the program and just, you know, keep a low profile and not really take anything serious and get what they're getting. And those, you can't do it in there. Those people never lasted. They would never make it. Only the people who are really working the program and walking it with, even when the door is closed, like just trying to be the best version of themselves that they could be, yeah. are the only people that ever made it out. Wow. So I began to take it seriously. I was thankful to be there. I was so glad. This is the first time I was able to actually talk to, I talked to my dad on the telephone. I talked to my brother on the telephone. I talked to my girlfriend on the telephone or my, you know, whoever I thought that girl I used to know was on the telephone. And this was 13 months after I left the, um, the county hold. This is 13 months. Actually, I'm sorry, 13 months from the time I was incarcerated. So it took me about nine months. I didn't hear or talk to anyone other than a letter. I changed letters. Mr. Oliver wrote me. Um, a good friend of mine, Jess Sinkfield, started writing me. And these guys were, you know, beginning to talk positive and give me words of encouragement. Um, they sent me a couple of books. And in this program, you know, she gave me this cart full of paints, right? She's like, I heard you can heard you're a great artist. So do you want to do the murals here? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah. Why not? So she, she let me do one. And then it was like, I had my own cell. I had like a cart full of stuff that you're not even supposed to have, like in your possession and I really, you know, chemicals and paintbrushes and, you know, stuff people make swords with. And uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I had it made in there and I started making it, uh, doing this thing at the program where I would facilitate the program each morning, you know, read off the minutes, introduce the, you know, speaker for the day and and on Wednesdays I would do this thing called Front Street because all anybody did in there was run around and gossip it was like did you hear what kind of bills so and so ran up or did you hear about so and so and so and so getting busted doing whatever in the other night up in the thing drama yeah exactly it was like a, the knitting the hen house or whatever and my god worse than high school it's actually it's a lot like high school except without the girls. I, I feel like it's more like my neighborhood HOA Facebook group. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that, like, it is. So that's what they did. And I was like, you know what, you guys, you're all in this little fishbowl here. Everybody's, you know, same gossip going around all day. So I was front street. So I would make awards. Oh, this guy's so nasty. This guy's so dirty. This guy's disgusting. This guy stinks. You know what I mean? So I'd make the... 
the fresh, so I took a bunch of pieces of cardboard and like cut up like the IOU card and I painted it and wrote a little IOU on there. It's like for the guy who doesn't pay his bills and we pass out the awards and basically put them on blast in front of everybody. We'd give them like a candy bar and we would, I would go around and raise money, get people to donate, you know, so we could give them a little gift and it wouldn't be so painful and make a joke out of it. Right. And it was super funny. We ended up doing like a little comedy thing with this, with this black guy who was my celly. He was from Alabama. He sing really good. And, um, we, we did it and we went through the program and, and, you know, we, we had it made for a second in there. This unit was at FCC Coleman, which is the biggest federal correctional complex in the nation. Mm. There's a USP there. There's a drop yard there. There's a women's prison there. There's a medium there. There's a low and a camp. And there's a whole electrical water treatment substation, whole little city of infrastructure and supportive um, facilities around this federal correctional complex. When you go in and out, you can like Google it and it's it's insane what this place looks like. Yeah. And this particular prison had won a lawsuit back in 2017 because the guys out there were, um, uh, I don't know how to say this, like, I don't know how to censor this or whatever, but they were... Um, Harassing, right? Is that the story? Well, let's just say sexual harassment, yeah. okay? Yeah. So what they would do, they would be really good at um, playing pocket pool, if you know what that is. So they... The guards, the the female guards, won a lawsuit because of all like the creepos walking behind them with their hands in their pockets. So they took all the pockets out of the pants, and they made all the women guards wear these shirts with with smocks that would cover up their rear. So they're they're kind of like trying to do with the right thing. It was. I mean, it was, it's a night and day difference from what you were explaining. Yeah. From your experience, I feel like it's the first time you maybe even like laughed, like <laughs> felt like you could breathe. Yeah, it was a big deal. Like, you should see the murals that I painted up in this place. Like I painted this one mural that was like 40 feet tall and 150 feet long. And like wow. on the outsides of the cell doors is like the, a big tree trunk was like four cells wide. And people were like, pay, like, hey, man, I'll put a hundred bucks on your books if you ask Councillor McCoy to change cells with us so I can have the tree house. Wow. <laughs> that is the cool it was, thing. Ever. It was cool. So in there, in that unit, is when, you know, I started, we had, I had access to books, you know, we, they put a little library in one of the rooms there and I found, you know, I went through the Robert Greene books, the Masteries and 48 Laws of Power, which are, which are all great and everything. But at the same time, the gangs are writing their bylaws from these books, you know, and I read, um, 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 Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you know, Stephen Covey. And they had a program in there that was the like the entire workbook. And I went through that program and lived the book. Like you would have to put the practices into play and log in how you, you know, put this particular uh, practice in play each day and then come back and talk about it and then, you know, converse with it's people. like and, therapy, book club yeah, there situation. Like, there was like eight guys in it and we all took it very seriously. They were like oh, each other accountable wow. like in real time and so, you know, I don't feel like you, you know, and we had to talk a certain way in there and we could not use like overgeneralizations like uh, everybody does this or I feel like yeah, we had to use our feel statements when we talked, or we'd get called out. And you, and you do that, like those are principles that you do now. Like, yeah, because you hate when I talk in general. Mm. You are very like 
that's very, very, very much you. And like anytime that you tell me part of the story, again, through this whole entire thing that you're talking, like there's something that I've never heard you say in this, right? It's it's just eye-opening to me that this is such, that, that moment that genuinely I feel like change your perspective of, I see the light in the tunnel, right? Because we talked about before where you always had these purposes in life of money, I don't know, like fame, family, whatever it may be, but these books sound like, they put your mind in, this, in a place to to have a different purpose, right? It was it was weird to me because of me growing up in this private Christian school, mm-hmm. and I had these values and these things in inside of me. And then when I read that book, and it was something in that book that bothered me, is that you know he said that people who are God centered are going to reflect and look at everything from the church's point of view or the church's perspective. And I looked at that and I was like, well, that's not right. But then I thought about it because there's a difference between being, you know, a a good spiritual, you know, principle-centered person, right? Now you could have principles that are messed up, right? But you could all, you know, we're talking where it's not what we're talking about. So as long as we're not taking that out of context, let's assume that, you know, your principles are um, honesty sacrifice, love, long suffering, the beatitudes, the fruits of the spirit, you know, those things are your principles, then you are living that that's, that's, that's the perfect scenario right there of, you know, what about being a principle centered person versus a family centered or money centered or friends centered or uh, a God centered uh, person and to me that like it op- it opened up all these questions so because to me it was like get the money like figure out how to get it and then figure out how to take that and multiply it build a business and ultimately hopefully you won't be breaking your back by the time you're six years old you might got another good 20 years to build something matt before you get out and it's all about the money so i saw saw myself there after five years of being released and i had everything that i wanted i went through my process and my steps in real time in my brain just sitting there and say oh it'll take me a few months to do this and it'll take me a few months to do that it'll take me a year to do this and here i am sitting in my living room first house I ever bought, first new truck I ever bought. I have everything that I could think about imagining right here around me. My garage is full of tools. You know, there are people pulling up saying, hey, uh, nice yard, Matt. You know, it's it's all there, right, in my imagination. And um, I'm like, now what? What do I do now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, what is the point of doing this if it's just serving myself, if it, you know, it's what I want. That's what I want. I want the money. Right. And I was like, well, it can't be what about what I want, you know? So I was like, money can't be your end all be all. Cause when you don't have it, you, you know, you're going to be stressing. And when you do have it, you're going to be not stressing and money isn't the objective. The objective is, is, is service. And, and that's when, it, when that, you know, all started to hit me right there because Every time I would see that, you know, money and the guys in there would say that too, like the real true blue, like, you know, the real MFers that are in there that are being honest. They're like, you can't do it for the money, man. You cannot do it for the money. The money can't be your motivation. It cannot. And that was the base of all these programs. What I find just so like incredible that story is 
no matter where people come from, the human spirit and the human desire to like have more to life. Like I'm almost getting emotional just thinking about that, right? Because like you and I are so different. You like I'm so different. From, you know, it, we're just all so different. But these are questions that I think everyone will encounter at some point in their life, and. It brings out the core human being. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, do you think that without, I, I mean, I know the answer to this because it's, it's obvious why we're here, but your whole entire life led you to this moment. If it worked out any other way. I believe it with all my heart. Right. And I really, I know I've said this to you before, but, uh, and I'll say it now that I, I don't think that I would be able to not, if I had a chance to go back and not do it, and then do something different, I don't believe that I would take that chance. I believe that I would go through with it. I would make those feet walk right back into that bank and I would go through it. If that's what it took to get me here, then it may be a little bit for some people. And to be honest with you, after, you know, I went through that tough issue or whatever with the being transported, it wasn't but just a few months until I had an idea of where I wanted to go and the right reason to go there. You know, I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't. And to me, it was all about prison was an opportunity for me. It was an opportunity for me to experiment with my character, you know, for me to experiment with walking that life and interacting with all kinds of different whacked up people, you know. So it's a perfect uh, environment for you to be able to build your your own character and your own principle. Well, because you, you described it one time as, you know, th- it was a really incredible imagery. I think for everybody listening, it's when you are going down the burn path, you said God will start taking away things in your life. Yeah. Right? To the point where you have nothing, so you have to rebuild your life. It's this point of stripping away the unimportance. That's right. Either by choice or by force. It's true. And it's happened to me over and over and over. And it's almost like the the most substantial evidence of the higher power that I've ever seen, like smacking me right in the face, is every time, mm-hmm. every single time is like when you are not looking let's you know i'm speaking figuratively here but when you're not looking up then and you're looking left right up the street down the street you're looking over where the bank is you're looking where the checkbook is you're looking where the uh the pretty girls are you're looking where the shiny truck is you're looking where the next job is you get my point right and you those things are your focus you know systematically each one of those things will begin to get plucked from your life no, I don't care who you are until you have no other choice but to look up. Mm-hmm. And, and that looking up is this. It's like a, something like a beam of light comes down into your chest and transforms you into someone that, you know what? I am happy now. I have a purpose that doesn't involve these rat race or these right. things or these my objectives and schemes you know and it's something else and you're never going to be able to get that until you start investing in people and start investing in hope and principles instead of your wants you know because your wants are going to be um fulfilled and then what you're going to have some more wants and you have some more wants it's going to lead a life of filling these empty holes and that's it sounds like an empty life to me. And that's what I was doing. That's what everybody does, I think, to a degree. I mean, I know I'm not the only one who's <laughs> discovered this or anything. Right. I'm just now discovering it. Maybe everybody else knows. And I'm just like, wow, this is astounding. But <laughs> Right. Well, and 
So all of that, right? The stripping away, realizing that you know who you are at this point, right? You're, you're get, you feel like you've built an identity. You realize there's more to life than the monetary things of the world, right? So what are you going to do? <laughs> well, I, I, I feel, like I said, it was a perf- I felt like it was a perfect opportunity for me to begin putting it into practice about walking, about building experiences and building habits in one way. I did that was through this program. You know, I tried to be a positive person. People would come up to me, Jones, you're a positive guy. And I really was. I was really someone who would always have be able to point out the positive side of things, no matter what their issue was. And, you know, I would um, begin drawing, you know, in my spare time, I had a vision. Like I said, I reverse engineered my plan here. And I was like, you know, there has to be something, a place, a, 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 an institution, a service, you know, that gives people the opportunity to be able to build themselves, define themselves, and get their identity. Because that's what guys in here need. People in, like, I would have people sitting around me in a, in a you know, in a group, not in a sanctioned group, like literally just walking up to my, like, like there's a meeting there at my cell every day of people with their notebooks out asking, you know, and it's because I'm working on this, you know, this logo, this Do South Design Center logo, this building, these stuff, these saws and offices and shipping and receiving and um, uh, organizational structure and, you know, how, how it works the inner workings and the infrastructure of the entire thing I sat there and just salaries or salaries and yeah the what it would take to run what it what it takes to it, everything down to how many sheets of paper we need to order every month for the copy machine like well, you know labeling you know the the design you know and i would to me it was crazy because i was like you can't have nothing without a logo <laughs> You know what I mean? There's something there, though, right? It's, that's identity. Yeah, 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 yeah. But until you got s- something to put on all those things, it, it's a thing until it has a name. Yeah. Until it has a label. And um, I worked on that thing for so long, so long, like years. I even per- even when a year before I got out, I perfected it and perfected it. And um, I, um, I'm gonna, I in. Initially, I wasn't sure what I was going to to, to call it, but um, it, it took shape, you know, after about a year of it because, you know, I knew that I was going to call my company Do South Design and what other, what else would I call it than the Do South Design Center? Right. Originally, I had called it The Service and it had a TS that looked like the DS and my diamond. Instead of a D, it was a T. And that's what it was, like the service of you know yeah and one of the next episodes we're going to release is specifically the meaning of like do south and how that kind of came to mind and i'm really excited for that episode because it's going to be a little bit more more artistic like the robbery episode and in that episode we'll definitely talk a little bit more through that planning in detail and how we hope it actually looks in the future so definitely stay tuned to that but now that you know You've got this, you've got this point here. What's, what's next, right? This program is supposed to get you into a medium security prison. Well, I made it. 
You made it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I graduated the program and I stayed there as a mentor for an, for another couple of months. Mm -hmm. And the place, for all that it w was good for, it was a, a bad place. Right. You know, it had... Prison. It was a lot of bad people coming in and out of there, you know. And the, the counselor in there, Counselor McCoy, she was an angel. I, if there was anybody else there, I don't know how this would have happened because she gave me so much encouragement and so much freedom. Anything that I wanted, she asked, like, she she let me have it. She would ask me, she'd call me in her office and say, Matt, do you want to call anybody? Can you use my phone right now? Call anybody you want. You know, just because I... Uh, you know, I, I made the program go while I was there. Everybody felt good. You know, I'm not trying to play myself up, but she did that, right? She empowers she, you. She was kind and she was sweet. And she put up with so many of these dirt bags spitting in her face every single day. And she was, the, she ran that unit. Nobody else came in there. No lieutenants came in there. No one else. That was her unit. And everybody hates people. Like you tell people you come from a, from a Ruby program in there, you're, it's like saying I just you know, you know it's the worst. It's worse. It's it's basically like saying I I joined a um, a child molester snitch program. The 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 re like the what it is the, the program. It's what it is. So basically, it's basically like see being like you're soft or like you're you're you're, you're no. Like, it's more like you're the you know people like that or they're not walking in the yards. They they can't even go to a drop. You outcast yourself intentionally by joining a program like that. Exactly. But but what? But I made it to a medium. Right. So, so once you get to a medium, there are no gang politics there. You can do your man time, is what they call it. That's, okay, I mean, that's what they call. It's called it man time. Either you're on black time, you're on white time, you're on gang time, or you're on man time. There's some other times too, but we won't talk about them right now. Um, so, anyways, I get there and I'm there. I make it to the me the medium in Manchester, Kentucky, and back to Kentucky. the place was beautiful. There was I could see mountains. It was snow when I got there. It was snowy mountains surrounding this place. I was literally walking outside. There are different housing units. Instead of a big square, you walk across here, and there's a little pond. It's trees growing, and turkeys, and deer, and you know hawks and owls screeching. And um, I'm at this place for like two weeks, going out to the yard, going to chow with my paperwork in my hand looking for my shot caller and finally there's like dude there, there's nobody here man like you're you literally carry around paper a piece of paper with you yeah yeah your 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 judgment and committal from your you have to have that on you like all times no not at all times but when you're touching at these other places when i touch down even when i was in a shoe i'd have my paperwork with me so that people could say oh okay you're not a uh you know a free proof yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Anyway, this is what I did. So, so, and then once you're once you're vested, you know what I mean. You, um, once you're vested, you you know you're good. You don't have to carry it around anymore. So I was at this place for about, I want to say a year and a half, maybe a little more, two years. I think I was there, and um, I probably did at least one substantial major like a big huge sleeve arm piece back piece leg piece per week for the entire two years i was there i put out the most artwork that i could put out there were no programs at this place i worked at a sewing factory for about eight months there where we sewed um shirts and vests and tents and army helmet covers for the air force and the navy wow yeah and i ran this cool little sewing machine i forget what they call it, it was called a 
I don't know, but it did this like the the double stitching on your um on your shirt that thing right there and does that and I was zip it through there and um and I was an artist. I made more money and supported myself than most people in there did at all just by um uh drawing t-shirt designs book cover design movie posters there was guys in there that would write films and movies and they had all these different fashion designs and ideas um you know there was a lot of people in there with money a lot of um like um what's his name bg remember um the cash money millionaires Lil wayne the bling bling the guy that was his hit anyways he was in there i did a tattoo on him seen him every day he was a drug addict um uh, who else was in there? DMX was in there. Michael Douglas's son was in there. So a bunch of like celebrity inmates. High that... profile convicts is a big deal. Is is like a, a common thing in there. So uh, nearing, you know, I'm thinking, well, I got about two years, maybe two and a half years left if I'm lucky. And this place is just kind of like, I'm going to put in for a program because I feel like my programming literally my programming is starting to stagnate you know i've i've read the books i've mm. walked the walk and i honed my business down to where i could see that people treated me a certain way they talked to me a certain way they right. interacted with me a certain way they interacted with me in respect i carried myself with punctuality and respect and uh, strictly business always I never, if I was, even when I was working out, it was like, all right, we're doing this at this time. We're doing this at this time. We're going to run a few laps and then we're going in. Shower time, eating, and then I'm watching a movie later on. Tomorrow, it's tattoos all day. So I had a schedule. I had a little book, a little calendar I carried around everywhere with me. So I put in for a program, the RDAP program, Residential Drug Abuse Program. And um, you're supposed to get a year off for this program. And I knew I wasn't getting the year off because my crime is classified violent. And just because of that factor right there, I don't get a year off. Whereas I'm watching 90% of the people go through and get the program and get it one year knocked off of their sentence and get, you know, a year of halfway house. So it's like two years off of their sentence. So I did the program. I went to this place to do the program. It was in Marion, Illinois. I get to Marion. I'm like, okay, touchdown in another spot. When I finally, so I started hearing rumors about this place before I get there. And it's the place, it's the prison that they built in the 80s to replace Alcatraz with. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so and there's a terrorist wing there now. Wow. It's home to every Dateline superstar. Um, child rapist, uh, multiple serial murderer, sex crime murderer, like 70% of the population on this yard are these types of individuals. So genuinely like the people, celebrity, like they're the all, people know their stories. Yeah. In my unit, there were like there, you could sit out there. Like I can remember when I first got out to the unit and the guy was like, yeah, that guy's got a novel on him. That guy's got two Dateline specials <laughs> in the novel. Can you this guy... Yeah, they're, they're like they're just in the unit. I can't imagine. I'm talking about just in our unit, not in the whole prison. Like when you walked out, remember I told you about the rec yard earlier, guys are doing burpees and basketball and, you know, handball and all that stuff. You walk into the, the inside rec yard of this place, they're playing uh, Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons. Somebody's over there painting uh, uh, somebody's toenails. Uh, there's someone else giving someone a massage. What? And it's like 
Different, another holding hands, watching TV. Another dynamic you had to learn. Oh my God, that's so crazy. So, but the program unit wasn't like that. It was this program was very serious, and it was, uh, you know, fold your corners on your bed. You had to, you know, um, iron your pants with a crease on them, and your collar had to be a certain way, and you could not speak a certain way, or you got pulled up. Um, wow. Mr. Jones, uh, hi, my name is uh, Mr. So-and-so, and I'm pulling you up today because you're using passive-aggressive communication. Uh, Big word. I'm, for, for, I'm for pulling it. you up today because you're you're uh, overgeneralizing, and when you overgeneralize, you tend to uh, back people in order and blah, blah, blah. So we did that every single day. You know, every day there would be these, there would be a list of pull-ups, there would be a list of push-ups, and that went on for about a year. And what, so what year was 2018, 19, like this was 19? It was just before COVID. So we were really? 2019. Yeah. Wow. It was 2019. When I, when I graduated this program, I um, put back in a transfer request. It was called a 325 to be transferred back to my parent institution. Because I was sent to this place that I put in for the program. Well, they were like, sorry, Mr. Yellow, this is the last stop for everybody. So you're going to leave from here or you're going to sit in shoe for the next however long. So I sat in shoe and it was, they, you're supposed to be, if you're in shoe for more than six months, they'll ship you no matter what. Wow. So I was like, I'll just sit in here for six months. So I sat in there for six months. It's like time for my 10th time from a transfer. So they took their time sending up the transfer and it took them about 45 days to send it off. And they come back to me like two months and said, I'm oh, Mr. Jones, sorry, your transfer got messed up. We're going to have to push it through again. So they took another two months to send it through and, and did the same thing. They're playing a game with me. They did some, in, in that shoe there alone in that cell, like nothing. I was in there for 13 months. And it was the deal sealer for the programming, the getting shipped to this accidental place, being in Manchester, going Mrs. McCoy, the uh, the psychology lady coming through with the RHU program and the crazy Sally and me jacking the slot and going back and getting beat up to even be pressed down that, that road from the start was all like to me it was a perfect setup for me to be able to execute what I'm doing right now <laughs> and not only that you know it, it's like it kept going about seven or eight months before I got out I posted a post on Facebook reaching out looking for to re you know reestablish um you know, relationships with positive people because I wanted to take my life in a positive direction and I wanted to to be able to communicate with people who who had their shit together, you know? Mm -hmm. And um um this girl, you know, reached out to me and she befriended me and was really, really good to me. She she looked out for me and, you know, sent me some some supplies and helped me with some clothes when I got out. She gave me a ride to the halfway house. She helped me get a good phone and helped me build like, you know, the basics for, for building this company. She was even going to basically say she employed me and um, so that I could work for myself in the halfway house because it's illegal to own your own business in the halfway house. So, um, but moving back, I, I actually ended up going back out to the yard 
So after 13 months in the hole, I was like, you know what? Forget it. Just put me back on the yard. So I came back to the yard and um, I've been, um, you know, I'm, I'm blackballed in the in the white people community because, you know, I'm I've, they're still playing that politic game even in this place. Right. This place was a USP. Of you, of you being hot? Yeah. Oh, God. This place was a USP, and it's full of, I mean, somebody in there has got something on their jacket. If they're there, it's because they got some type of security threat factor on their jacket. So, anyways, I was like, whatever. So, my my good buddy, who was, uh, he was in, from Chicago, he's a, 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 a vice lord shot caller for the yard. He's like, you come live with me, Matt. We can finish up on my tattoos or something, you know? So I was like, okay, cool. So when guys come in and they're vice lords, they have to come talk to him. It's like, hey, I need a cell. Like, you can stand out in the unit, and this is the way prison works. Like, those are Native American cells. Those are GD cells. Those are blood cells. Those are crypt cell. That's a Native cell. That's a crypt cell. Those two are white cells. That's a white cell. That's a white cell. And if you're white, you're looking for a white It's, it's real estate in there. And sometimes people move out and that's when people come up and they rent these cells. They decide who stays there and, and who doesn't stay there. So these these vice lord guys would come up and they'd ask, look for, for my buddy city and say, hey, I need a place to go. And uh, he'd tell them where to go or he'd say, you can be a silly with me for two months. But then when a bunch of work comes in, you got to you got to go. And uh, so he got out and he said, he said, this is your cell now. I don't care if you want to call it a vice lord cell. I don't care if you want to call it a white cell, but it's your cell. And I was like, oh, yeah, all right, cool. I'm I'm doing it now. So, um, and that was right right at the the peak of COVID. Wow. But when he left, we had been on COVID lockdown for like two months. I can remember one day we are coming back from yard and I saw on CNN on one of the TVs in the day room, it said, um, Fed declares lockdown nationwide for COVID. And I'm not kidding you. Five minutes later, the deuces went off, which I, I can't believe I mentioned that. That's what they call them in there. Like when somebody hits the deuces, that means the, the alarms go off and you got to hit the deck or within like so many seconds, you'll be killed. Right. The guys will shoot you literally. So if there's somebody getting stabbed over there on the yard, which I completely skipped over that part. I was like my third day in prison coming out of, out of chow. And I see this, these guys, it look like they're running right in a circle they're like running in a really small circle like a 10 foot radius circle across the yard in the walkway and the sun's coming up behind them and it's very surreal it's a very surreal memory right and i see this this pink mist right like rising up in the sunset and these guys are running around this small circle well i got closer and then i hear the deuces go you know and they're not running. There's a guy in the middle and he's getting stabbed up. And this red mist is his blood splattering all over. Oh like, my God. And literally it looked like powder. It was like, like, um, it was craziest thing. Special effects, real life special effects. It was, it, it was crazy. He, he got, it was, I don't know what the deal was or why it happened or whatever, but they were, uh, some type of Hispanic gang and they were, they were, they were killing one of their own. Day three and, Third, the third day that I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't even know what was going on. And there was this guy was like, it's the deuces, get out. So, um, well, so COVID happens. You find out that you're going to, you know, I'm assuming you're getting close to your sentence, right? Sure. What's, you're waiting for, how, what is that like to be like, okay, when do I get out? Like, how do you know? 
Well, he's and it's COVID. Like, are you eating any now? Can they hold you there longer for the lockdown? Like, they're, so we're, hearing all, we're hearing all kinds of rumors. Like, okay. they're closing halfway houses. They're, you know, you're already being quarantined. You're going to have to quarantine in some lockdown facility for six months. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of rumors going around there. But I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to keep riding it out. I'm getting out of here. You know what? I'm doing my time. So... You know, you only you get so much halfway house time in there because I graduated the program. They gave me 10 months of halfway house, okay. which is just about unheard of. You don't get any more halfway house time than maybe 10, 11 months. A year is the max that you can get. You can only get so much halfway house time based on the length of your sentence. So a guy with three years, he's only going to get three months halfway house. Okay. A guy with five years, he's going to get maybe seven, eight months of halfway house time. I had 77 months. They gave me 10 months. Is that, so explain real quick. Is that like a blessing because it's like paid for, right? I'm assuming, you know, they have to pay and like, like why, a why federal, court? federal halfway house time is different from state halfway house time. Okay. You're probably used to hearing people, oh, he's in the halfway house in Mount Juliet or Lebanon or Hermitage or Hendersonville or whatever. Not the same? Not the same. Okay. No, because those are guys like private uh, organizations or institutions. Like sometimes they're even felons. They own like that house across the street, right? And they'll say, I'm a halfway house. I've got bedrooms. And they'll have rules. They get inspections from the state and stuff like that. Mm. Guys come in and live there. And if they're acting messy or breaking curfew, they'll kick them out. They're drinking or doing drugs. You're not paying attention to the rules. They will kick them out. Federal halfway house is run by federal staff, federal employees. It is regulated and ran. So um, it's a, it's, and it is paid for. And it's mandatory for your reintegration into, um, into society. So you have to do at a minimum 30 days of halfway house um, in the feds. So it's it's mandatory and it also is part of your sentence. All right. So you are, you get your release date, right? Yes. I, I finally get my release date. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like December, um, December 7th, December 10th, December 11th, something like that of 2020. Wow. And it's peak COVID time, right? The, the world is a mess. The stadium is transformed into, you know, what are they doing? Testing centers or whatever. You remember? Yeah, the, yeah, the girls are dressed through testing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I get to a halfway house. It's um, it's amazing. You know what I mean? It's uh, out, outstanding. I mean, it's like I'm right in the middle of downtown Nashville. Um, we are... I see right about, you know, around about, um, anyways, it's right next to the Westin downtown. You know, it's great. I mean, it sucked. Don't get me wrong, but I was there. I was wearing brand new street clothes. I had a phone. It was all the creature comforts that someone could imagine. Yeah. Well, that's also like you have to not only navigate years of technology, the world literally no longer as we all know it, even in, you know, the, the world and, I know there like I don't think people realize that you had to like how do I find my birth certificate how do like yeah. it's it's you come out with the, the skin on your like or you know the skin on your back clothes on your back like figuring out how do I get a license right nothing nothing so when I got there you know I had you know a, a couple of friends you know they could come visit you and stuff like that I was basically on my own and. You know, I, I had to depend on, you know, the resources and the staff to be able to, you know, navigate through the things that I needed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is still like 
I mean, it's still happening today, but you know, the, the staff there were like completely like, they're not going to help you. Only a couple of people in there were like, you know, really good people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's how I ended up within two weeks of being out. You know, I had a job, I had a way to get there. I was also facilitating a, a, re, uh, a way for the BOP to fund and support a recovery program for people who wanted to do like my um, uh, preventative uh, relapse prevention plan. And that's, um, uh, and the assistant administrator there, Mr. Mills, you know, basically, if it wasn't for him, none of that would have been done. I wouldn't even have been able to probably get a job if it wasn't for this guy. There was so many things that, that he, you know, made happen. You know, he, he's one of the biggest, best mentors that has helped me through the situation. I think what's crazy, like anytime I also hear a story, and even if you reflect back in anyone's own personal life is, for your story in particular, there are these pivotal moments, of course, but these pivotal people. Yeah. Or if it wasn't for McCoy, Mr. Mills, um, you know, um, like, like uh, I, I can't even tell you, Mr. Oliver, right? These people have been perfectly placed in your life to put you where you are. And I'm happy to like tell the listeners that we actually are going to have Mr. Mills on an upcoming episode where, you know, I've had the pleasure of, of getting to know him as well. And hearing him talk about you was one of the things that I knew you were really a remarkable person from his perspective. You know, having somebody come fresh out of federal prison and and seeing something in you, just like all the other people did. That was one of the most impactful conversations I've ever had. So I'm excited that, you know, a, a really, really soon we'll have him on. And he's been listening, you know, to every single episode since and encouraging on the way. And I think that's a really great place to end this episode because then we can talk about the halfway house and everything that happened there and leads us now like out of prison, right, where we are now. So I agree. I'm I'm looking forward to it, too. And I, and I love him. And it's been it, it was um an aha moment for me to be able to to receive that back from him, you know, recently to hear him say, you know, I believed in you and, you know, and from Mr. Oliver to Jess Sinkfield and Jeremy Hamner and these perfect mentor collection that I've had to teach me and show me, you know, how to basically be a, a good man and be strong. Um, you know, he's like one more perfect piece of the puzzle for me. I'm looking forward to hearing, hearing yeah. it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. We appreciate all the time that you spent. I know this episode was a longer one, yeah. but I hope it was worth it. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We have some pretty incredible episodes coming your way, so make sure you engage with us on Instagram and TikTok and let us know what you want to hear about. We'll make sure to include it in the future. Also, make sure to follow us on all social media to find out more ways you can support the podcast. Thank you again so much for taking the time to listen.